Well, as you can see, we're in a, a um, sermon series called Jesus the Game Changer. Many of us are in uh, Life Hubs, small groups, and we're watching some videos that go for half an hour and raise um, issues for us to discuss. We're looking at what aspects of Western society um, came from Jesus, things that we take for granted that we appreciate, uh, but they actually came from Christianity. Uh, let me pray. Lord God, as we open up this, um, your word and consider equality and the worth of every human being, we, we want to give the glory to Jesus for leading us towards this truth. We want to give you back the glory that we, we find this in your word. And we want to be people who live it out. So I pray you'd open up our eyes and ears, all of us and our hearts, to receive your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last week I tried my best to quote John 3.16 in uh, a couple of different languages. Those particular verses in those particular languages um, and a few others have been locked in my head for more than 20 years. I collected them as Morgan was talking about on short-term mission trips that I was part of over the years and on those trips I would do my best to, I guess, honour the culture by um, doing your best to learn, um, to eat what's given to you. Um, what he feeds me, I will swallow. Where he leads me, I will follow. <laughs> Something like that we used to be taught. It is a good, good one to remember that. What he feeds me, I will swallow. Where he leads me, I will follow. That's right. <laughs> when you're in another culture. Um, but I would ask lots of questions and I would learn bits of language and I would uh, try to recite and remember scripture verses. And you know what? I thought I did an okay job because you stand out as a white visitor in some of these places. And the last thing I wanted to do was to, to come in um, like some sort of colonial uh, missionary and, and not give respect. But you know, on one trip to Kenya... In my late 20s, I, I was struck by the concerning degree of discrimination, of favoritism, maybe what you would call class segregation that was in my soul, not someone else's, was in my soul. I, I enjoyed these trips to um, diverse and relatively poor countries. I loved to learn about their way of life and how they lived out their faith more than anything, but as one of the rich white Westerners, you get used to being treated well. I mean, you, you're sort of a, a circus act. You know, you come in and you, you draw attention and you say, oh, no, 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 no. And you sort of try to be humble, but you get used to being treated in a very special way. Um, I guess you're given a lot of respect and, and um, in saying that, um, it's a wonderful thing that I was treated often in these short trips so well. But on this particular trip to Kenya, we were with a group of uh, people, Christians, from a very big, well-educated church in Nairobi. And they went out of their way, at least in my perception, they went out of their way to let me and us know that we weren't anything special. We, in fact, if there was a pecking order, we were down the pecking order. You know, they, they were used to... Um, to, to, to um, I guess, Western education and, and, um, and uh, expat people there in Nairobi. Um, what shocked me was that I found myself feeling offended 
and uh, I thought, why am I feeling that? And then I, I realised, I think I like being someone special because of the colour of my skin. I think the line of latitude where I was born had given me some horrible racial pride that told me I am above them. And I remember going home one day thinking, who are you? It was horrifying because I don't think many of us want to think that we would put ourselves on a pedestal above another person. And as I look around, we're a mixed group here. And you know what? Not many of us could point fingers and judge another person because as I get to know people from other races, um, you may be a minority in Australia and you may have experienced actually racism, but I bet you feel it towards someone else that's a neighbour nearby. Yes? It is true. We, we, we have problems with our closest neighbours often. Um, and we get this thing inside of us, as much as we'd like to believe that all people are equal, um, we just think some people aren't. And if we can, we sometimes like to bring ourselves up. Uh, I certainly felt convicted about that, and I have been working ever since on bringing my heart and mind into a Christian perspective and Christian worldview that sees people as each being worthy of the dignity Christ gave them. Amen? Uh, but it's easy not to be in that place. The second paragraph of the United States Declaration of Independence starts as follows. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain un unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. These days, the first thing we all notice is, is it only men? <laughs> Don't you reckon? Is it only men that are created equal? But all people are created equal. It's one of the foundational ideas that has driven Western democracies. But it's definitely not self-evident, is it? It's not, it's not self-evident to everyone. The world runs on the fuel of inequality. Have you noticed that? I mean, it is the fuel that runs the world, inequality. It's the fuel of evolution the theory of evolution does not work without inequality right natural selection some people are more equal than others some animals have more power and ability to to stay alive than others it is run on inequality the world yet western democratic societies still esteem equality as this thing that we want and it's it's been something that's driven um the recent debates about same-sex marriage it's like hey equality it's like this great thing um as we talk about equality it's important to have a little caveat to say all people should be equal but not all ideas are equal amen and that's a really important thing to remember all people are equal but not every idea that each equal person comes up with should be um, considered as equal. It has to be brought under the truth of God's word. If I was to go or you were to go to a sports event and survey 10,000 people at an Australian sports event, I, I reckon it would be a very high percentage of people who would say that they believe in the 21st century in equality. Don't you reckon? What do you reckon? Is that Australian society at present? Uh, most people would say, you know what? 
fair go for everyone. Our new Prime Minister said it in his opening speech, a fair go for everyone. It doesn't seem to worry about certain refugees, but... Um, and that's the whole situation. But he, he, he's sort of saying it's a fair go because it's sort of in the Aussie spirit. We, we want to treat people equally. Um, and we sort of probably take it for granted that it's always been the case, but it's certainly not. It's, it's not something that has been prevalent in human history. And this course puts forward the thesis that really it was not in history at all until Jesus turned up on the scene. The idea of equality. And then Paul and St. Augustine, hundreds of years later, in the early church, they really drove it home. Jesus was a Jew. Um, He was born into Jewish culture, but that Jewish culture was really living inside of Greco-Roman culture, which, you know, if you're not familiar with historical terms, sounds technical, but it's just the Greeks and the Romans. Greco-Roman culture was the culture that he was born into and um, certainly in that culture, all people did not have equal worth. They were unequal, profoundly unequal. So when Jesus brought in this idea of equality, it was nothing short of revolutionary teaching. Think about, um, I've got some of these on the screen. Think about the way Jesus treated people. He honoured the poor widow who put two cents in the plate, Luke 21. He sat and conversed with the woman at the well, the Samaritan, John 4, an outcast of her own society, an outcast to his people, the Jews, did not like them at all. What did he do to the untouchable leper, Matthew 8? Touched the untouchable. He recognised the children who didn't need to be recognised, Matthew 19. He gave the responsibility of proclaiming his resurrection to who? To women whose testimony wouldn't be accepted in court. He's turning things on their head, John 20. He taught that God is like a shepherd who'd leave 99 sheep to find the one sheep that is missing because he treats sheep equally, Matthew 18. He taught his disciples to love everyone, including their enemies, treat people equally, especially, especially the enemies, Matthew 5:43. Go the extra mile if you're asked to walk one, even by the hated Roman soldier who says, you've got to walk another mile. Treat him as you would a brother. Um, turn the other cheek. When you're struck on one. I think it would be fair to say, if we think about it, that Jesus was bringing in this notion of treating people equally, treating human beings as beings of enormous dignity and worth because he was taught it from the book of Genesis. Like it's not a new concept. In the first century, hundreds and hundreds of years before, this idea that every human being has been created by God the Father, the Creator, and been given immense eternal worth is the concept of imago Dei, the image of God. Genesis 1.27, Catherine read it for us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Biblical Christianity teaches that every human being, from the very beginning of our book of truth, Every human being has been created with enormous dignity and worth. We are not Christianly thinking and speaking a cosmic accidental collision of atoms. Amen? We, we, we are not accidentally here. We have been created in the image of our Creator. In fact, every human being has been. So what does that mean? 
What does imago Dei mean? Made in the image of God. It doesn't mean that we are gods, but I think it at least means that we reflect in some way the amazing capacity that the Father, Son and Holy Spirit have in this eternal trinity, this community of oneness. They interact and complement and um, and love one another in relationship, it would seem that at least we've been given that capacity to be in um, mutually beneficial, intelligent, loving relationships. Human beings have been made in the image of God and being invested with intrinsic dignity and worth before nationality worth as a human being everyone before gender speak that out in china in a one child policy and that hasn't always been the case has it it's thousands and millions of first child girls that have been thrown away because they're not a boy gender has been a rough thing in history yes they are not treated equally. Gen- people of different gender throughout history have not been treated. Before status, we have dignity and worth as a human being. Before wealth, before any other societal feature which segregates and designates worth, we are made imago Dei in the image of God and worth the dignity that God gives us. We are equal. So Jesus taught this. He lived it out. The Apostle Paul taught it. And these are the, Paul, the Apostle Paul's words in the letter of um, Galatia, Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Paul is saying that through baptism which is a mark, an external mark of the faith that's happened in our heart and mind, through baptism, that, that sign of the death, burial into, a, into immersed water, and then coming out like the resurrection that Christ had from the grave. Baptism is this marker that we belong to the Messiah, that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead. And so Paul in Galatians 3 is saying, that our identity must be, first of all, Christian and then any other label that defines us. Look around the room. We look different. This is a good vantage point from the front. We look really different here, which is a wonderful blessing. First Christian, then add your label. First in Christ, baptized in Christ by faith. We are found in the Messiah, found in Jesus because the the ground at the foot of the cross is level, equal, absolutely equal in Christ, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male, female, one in Christ. It doesn't mean that all those categories aren't real. And there's not differences, but our identity is found that we are seen equally as children of God by faith in Christ. 
And even before faith in Christ, Genesis 1.27 says, we as human beings have this immense worth because we're made in the image of God. The teaching of Jesus in the early church has not always been followed by the church. Um, we have a very sorry history, I think. But um, this renaissance of equality that we're seeing right now in 2018 um, sometimes might make us think that it's always been there. But the point of this talk and this part of the series is to say, no, it really was Jesus who actually brought it in. Western society, not that the West is the best, we're certainly finding that, that out more and more as the decades go by. It's the rise of the rest, you know, and leaving the West. Uh, we acknowledge that. But um, Western democratic society was not founded on this principle of equality. Jesus and the disciples and the early church brought it in. And you can see when you think back to, typically it's said that Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, those supposedly great Greek philosophers, they were the ones who set up the foundation for our society. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, some hundreds of years before uh, Jesus, they were hardcore believers in inequality. If, if the, the West was built on Athenian logic and, and wisdom, the, the, the Greeks, those guys, those philosophers, they did not believe in equality. Um, they believed that uh, slaves were what they called anthropodon. They talk about this in the, in the video. And uh, you don't want to be anthropodon because they are neither male nor female. They are Newton, not a person. They were a living tool, owned and used like any other tool. The big thing was that the people believed this stuff. Slaves, anthropodon. They're a living tool. You know, Plato... Apparently, some of the wisest people, teachers, philosophers who ever lived, Plato believed and wrote that women were inferior in every way. This is the background to Jesus, to the society he lived in. Physically, intellectually, emotionally, and because they are inferior, so-called by Plato, in every way, they needed to be treated as such. It was terrible. This is normal. Jewish men, I don't know how they got there, but they did. Jewish men used to pray, thank you, God, that I wasn't born, what? A Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And that was seen as a righteous, praiseworthy prayer. This documentary uh, was sparked that we've been looking at these videos by Carl Faze and Olive Tree Media by the Ipsos poll that was done a couple of years ago and it studied and surveyed 14,000 people and asked the question, is religion a force for good in the world? And it was 50-50. But a lot of the, the countries of the world said, no, religion is uh, not a force for good. Um, but, you know, even when you compare religions and, and what um, people think about humanity, even the idea of doing good is really different. Did you know that? That across the world you say we should do good. That is not it's not a common understanding. Um, and they talk about it in the video with um, Hindus and, and, and Indians who really understand Hinduism. And they talk about the fact that for so many hundreds of millions of people in India who are Hindus, they understand good to be completely different 
to the way we would, most of us would think of good. For a Hindu, if you don't have inequality, you don't have Hinduism. Hinduism doesn't exist without inequality. Um, some of you know a lot more about Hinduism than I do, but I'll just recap some of what I've studied and what I saw on the video. So Hinduism is based on a caste system, which is all about inequality. And in the caste system, there are four high castes, Brahman at the top, and then four castes, and then the untouchable castes. I didn't know that there are 32,000 subcastes within the untouchables. So you might be born in the top four, and especially if you're born a Brahmin, you've done something good. Um, but you, a lot of people are born in those 32,000 subcastes um, called the untouchables. But then underneath the untouchables, you have a whole bunch of animals like the cows and the rats. And then underneath the untouchables and the animals, you have the outcasts. And part of the outcasts are the snake charmers. So everyone has seen a snake charmer and thought, oh, isn't that a, yeah, a lovely sort of picture of the culture of India? Apparently, the snake charmer has no rights, no birth certificate, birth certificate, no right as a human being. They are underneath many animals and um, they are seen as less than human. Now, the, the obvious part of this is how absurdly ill-informed Ill it is to say all religions are the same. They're not. All religions aren't all the same. So Hinduism is based on reincarnation. So you, you live and then you die and you come back as something else depending on karma, which is what you are storing up by doing good or doing evil. But what is good? Is good treating people as equal? No way. Because if I'm a Brahmin and you're an untouchable, if I get in the way and try to do good to you like we might think good is done to help you and get you going, I'm breaking the karma system. I'm, I'm getting in the way of what is good. So to be good as a Brahmin is to go, I have to leave you as an untouchable. And if I'm an untouchable, I can't try to get myself out of that place because I'd be breaking the rules of karma. It's like I'm here because of I did something wrong. So can you see how... I would honestly say how evil the system is. It's like, you're down there, you stay there. And even if I'm a Brahmin and I feel convicted that I want to do good, well, I can't do good because to do good would be to leave you there. Are you following me? So equality is almost taken out of the whole possibilities um, in this Hindu world. It, it's, a, it's a completely foreign notion in contrast, in contrast. Jesus reached out to the poor and touched the untouchable. He loved the unlovable and he rebuked the merciless, didn't he? He treated everyone with dignity and so did the early church. When Christianity is at its best, that's what Christianity does. And this teaching has had an enormous impact on Western society. I talk about that Hindu stuff, not to put down India, certainly, because we've got some Indians at the front here. There's no doubt there are organisations in India, one of the biggest countries in the world, if not the biggest, um, and they're doing good and they're loving people, absolutely. But at the core of Hinduism, you don't find equality. That's what I'm saying. If you appreciate the fact that... Um, 
the slave trade was abolished in England under Wilberforce's prophetic leadership. Um, you know, that's a good thing, isn't it? William Wilberforce. Wow, what an amazing thing he did. He took on the, the, the British government and they got rid of slavery. But we're about to watch a video that can just put this into perspective. He didn't do that because it was a th he thought it was a good idea. He did that directly out of spiritual conviction of sin and a group of people, the Clapham sect, who were just normal Christians getting together, studying their Bibles, saying, Jesus treated people really different to what we're seeing in society and we should do something about it. So let's spend seven or eight minutes and actually watch this because treating people as equal there are a few examples of it being manifested more powerfully than the abolition of the slave trade so let's watch this <laughs> 